Hey everyone, we have a two-part podcast today. We begin with Mike Yam from the NFL Network. We talk about sports talk radio, the end of his time at the Pac-12 Network, and more. And then we we have a couple of friends of mine on to just talk about the Mariners. Look, it's it's been 21 years. I, I didn't want this to turn into the podcast where I just bring my friends on to talk about my teams, but give me this one. Uh, that's all coming up on this episode of the I-5 Corridor, and please consider checking out i-5corridor.com and, and maybe a subscription, but let's begin first with Mike. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the I-5 Corridor. Tyson Alger here with today's guest. It's Michael Yam from the NFL Network. You may remember him from, gosh, you've done a ton of things at this point, man, like Pac-12 <laughs> Network. You've been on, I remember you back when you were on SportsCenter. Um, how's it going, man? How are you doing? Uh, I'm feeling, first of all, I'm, it's great to be with you, man. I, I, I track your work. Uh, you often come on with us as a guest over on, on Pac-12 Radio on Sirius XM. So keep the tabs on everything that you're doing. And I always say this, man, uh, congratulations on the success, because I know what you're doing is not easy. So anyone who's listening to this podcast, um, just just know Tyson's got cojones, man. Not easy to venture out on your own thing. So kudos to you. But I'm, you know, you say that, remember, like when I was doing Sports Center, I'm thinking to myself, man, I just turned 41 the other day and I'm already feeling old and you just kind of piled on a little bit, but we'll roll with it. But things are well, good. Well, man, I, I, um, like two thousands, like that decade of like ESPN and ESPN news, I probably remember every single anchor that came on there. Like I was, uh, I, I graduated high school in Alaska in 2007 and I think we got, I think we finally got satellite. We didn't have cable satellite oh. or anything up until like, maybe i was in middle school so like once we got espn and it was like espn news espn clap like it was like i yeah. watched i think i saw every baseball tonight highlight in like from like 2004 oh my god <laughs> um i i am i'm having flashbacks of like joe tory pitching changes um when he was in la with the dodgers you know the 10th pitching change it felt like in the ninth inning and staying till two <laughs> three in the morning um but those were good times man honestly i had i had a blast there back in the day and and god you said you know not having satellite or any of that stuff i didn't have cable television until i got to fordham so like my entire really? life so like those eras of you know when when people talk about like the heyday of sports center i didn't i didn't watch sports center until i got to college so it's kind of it's kind of crazy how things fell into place well and, and honestly that's that's why i wanted to to talk with you today is i just saw i saw your tweet uh, last week that you were filling in on the jim rome show and yeah. Um, and you know, you had, you know, a little thing about how that was kind of, you listened to him in college and it was a dream for you. And, um, I, I loved, I loved, and I still love listening to sports talk radio. And, and I think it's one of those things that I, I think commonly probably maybe gets a little bit of a bad rap when it's done poorly, but like, man, like I, I just, I have great memories of like listening to Jim Rome with my dad, like driving yeah. to Anchorage and back and just like, especially being from like a small town, it was like a little portal to like. The, like you know kind of like the sports world and I, I was just curious like what that experience was like for you kind of being able to, to host that yeah man it was so wild because I think you hit the nail on the head with sports talk radio when there's such like this negative connotation and I think it's I think a lot of it happens because of what we also witness on television you know I mean Tyson I've known you for years now like you know I'm not like the hot take guy to have a hot take the screamer or the yeller like that's just not my personality and all of a sudden you go and you watch these debate shows and it's no disrespect to those guys because a it's 
I, I know them. The the preparation is crazy, and I don't think people realize that, and they work super hard. So I respect that. But at me, from an audience perspective, I just like people who talk to me. I don't need to be talked at. And I do flash back because you mentioned like your dad. So like my dad's not a sports fan at all, um, but I do remember my grandfather was a huge sports fan. And, you know, I grew up in northern New Jersey, so I would listen to WFAN and I remember all those car rides and we would just listen to sports talk radio like that's just kind of what we did together. So it was wild. And then, you know, when I got to Fordham, I, I was pre-med Tyson. Like, I didn't think that this was going to be like a thing. Like, I, I didn't even really know it was a job to be. I know it sounds silly for me to say I didn't know it was a job, but I, I really I probably should, you know, I, I talk for a living, right? I got to fill in for Jim Roman. I can't even really explain, <laughs> uh, you know, eloquently what I mean by that. But I, I just, I, I don't think I could have ever envisioned myself doing that and getting paid for it. Like it just wasn't, I didn't think it was a viable option. And, you know, when I was in college, all of a sudden I, I made that hard right turn. You go into broadcast and you hope you get those opportunities. And I think it's so important because at Fordham, there were so many guys that were doing it professionally that would come back. And then you realize like, oh, okay, like I'm in the same spot that those dudes are in. Maybe I can do it. So you just kind of needed to see it a little bit. And then, you know, things obviously with Pac-12 Network weren't, weren't great in terms of the ending and, and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, all these other opportunities have started to pop up over the years. And I'm just insanely fortunate because NFL Network has been really, really good to me. Um, and then I randomly got a call about filling in for Jim Rome. And I joked when I did the show, Tyson, because I, you know, you open up the show and I'm on a set and I still see it, you know, because it's on CBS and they're doing the simulcast and the whole thing. And, um, you know, I do flash back to those days, but you sit in the chair and I was telling the story, like I get the call and they're like, Hey, any interest in filling in for Jim when he goes on vacation? And I don't think I could have said yes fast enough. <laughs> I mean, cause it's just a cool opportunity. And Tyson, what he's been able to build is, is pretty incredible. Um, it just, it's wild to me. So to, Long story short, it really was a, a pretty cool thrill uh, to be able to sit in that seat and, and get that get that rep. How uh, how do you think you did? I, I think I did okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, man. You know, three hours solo is not easy. Um, you know, Dude, I, 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 yeah, I can't even, you know. I can't even carry like, like a update 20 minute podcast on my own. Like, I, like, I don't like, like the people who can just like go off and talk for like three hours. I think that's like one of the, I have no idea how, how people do that. It's, it's really wild. You know, it's crazy too. Cause Tyson, one of my first real gigs out of school, like, you know, I had a, you know, multiple jobs. I still damn to this day. I still have multiple jobs, but one, I was doing ESPN radio overnights. Um, God, this has got to be like 2000, I graduated in 03. So like, I don't know, 05, something along those lines. So you do like four or five hours solo uh, overnight. Like I was filling in for um, Bob Valbano and there were some other guys like uh, uh, Jason Wright was doing his show. Like you, you start filling in and I, you know, I mean, I was less experienced as a bra. I was five years old, basically. Right. Like I'm as right. a kid and they're giving you these opportunities. So of course you say yes. You know, now the years go by and I feel like I'm I'm definitely I got I hope to God I'm a better broadcaster now than I was, you know, back in 2005. But I was nervous. I mean, I'm nervous because it's Rome. I'm nervous because I hadn't done a solo radio show, Tyson, in uh, I don't know. It's it's been a few years. Well, that, that that's what that's what I was thinking of is like, yeah. I, I know you've been doing, you know, Pac-12 Pac network stuff, but like I can't rem like I was like, I don't think Yam's done that like on his own. No, I've always on Pac-12 radio, there's always been, I usually work with like Guy Haberman or Evan Moore, right. you know, like Jeff Schwartz, Sean O'Connor, like there's like the regular rotation of dudes in there, but you always have someone to kind of bounce things off of. And, you know, it's second nature in a lot of ways, just because, you know, I kind of lived it 
<clears throat> excuse me, I lived it for like 10 years. So you kind of know the ins and the outs of things. And then, you know, you realize it's like, well, I'm not going to do Jim Rome show and talk Pac-12 football. Like, by the way, we did do a little preview on UW and UCLA uh, because that game was on a Friday night and that was the day that I was hosting. So I, you know, I do Time circle late, back yeah. on some of the, uh, I know, circle back on some of the the comfort spots for me. But generally speaking, I mean, it, it's helped because the last couple of years have been inundated with NFL stuff. So the majority of the show was that, of course, got my old buddy Rick Neuheisel to pop on the show yeah. to do some college football. Their, their clock is also you know, the success that Jim has built up, not to get into the weeds on this, but he's on like over 200 affiliates. So when you sell that much commercial time, it's not like three hours. If I was doing like three hours solo on Sirius radio, like you're, it's four segments. Yeah. Like you're, you're feeling a lot. <laughs> like this is three segments an hour. They're shorter segments, but nonetheless, like you're prepped and in, in, well, I, I prep, you know, the hell I probably prep more for that than I did most of the other radio shows that I worked on. Um, God bless the people who do the the ESPN overnight shift because oh, yeah. every time that I'm driving back from Autzen Stadium, Saturday night when I was driving back, 8 p.m. Oh, yeah. kick, I'm on the road at like 2 a.m. and I'm out of podcasts. And sometimes like like that's my, like I hate those late games, but that's just kind of when like when I have like a vision in my head of of doing those late night kicks, it's always the the, the late night. It's like Amy Lawrence or like like the late night. Oh, yeah. uh, Amy's great too. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like what's what's the vibe like in a studio when you're doing the late night shift? Oh, it's weird, man. It's definitely weird. So like the first times I was doing it, I had never, I still never forget this. The first segment of the first overnight show that I did, I get in, you know, you do it, you're prepped. I'm nervous as hell. I was nervous for Rome too, but I'm nervous as hell for that first one. You're like, this is national radio. There's going to be so many people listening. What the hell am I going to do? I do the first segment and then I go into the, into the control room, just checking in, in the break with the producer. And he's like, well, uh, he's like, I got two pieces of advice for you. He's like, one, slow down a little bit. And I do have a tendency Northeast. I do talk pretty quick. And he said, the other thing is, I think you covered every story in the opening segment. Um, so we, we could dive a little deeper now. I mean, I went through every, I was unloading every bullet that I had. Um, but it's weird because you're in, you're in a studio with no windows. You know, it's late. You know, at that point I was working for Sirius radio. I was doing some stuff with NBA TV and, you know, I would do sometimes like, I don't know, six hours of radio, hop into the car, drive from Midtown Manhattan up to Bristol, Connecticut, do an overnight radio show and then drive straight back. I mean, it was crazy. Like they would get me a hotel. I'd sleep for like two hours and then have to be right back at work. So, I mean, damn Tyson, those were younger days, man. I, I could be able to handle a schedule like that. I can't anymore, but, um, yeah, I mean, I get eight hours of sleep, and I'm we're doing this over Zoom. I see the bags under my eyes. Like that's not a good look. So. How I I actually had the option of flipping my camera to HD or not, and I left it at standard because we're we're looking rough this morning. Um, how how hard is it to kind of flip between being doing like kind of like the studio host role that people kind of got to know you from, like with the Pac-12 Network, yeah. to to doing radio where it's more you know you have to carry it your own. Like um, Pac-12 Pac-12 Network, you're kind of more the point guard and setting no everybody doubt. up. Yeah. Yeah, it's Tyson, it's a great question because I don't think people realize it a lot of times. The role is dramatically different. Uh, you know, I, I think one of the, the advantages that I had at, at Pac-12 Network or hell, even when I was at ESPN and, and certainly now at NFL Network, it is a little different. And I, I'll give you an example, but the advantages I had at those spots was I was point guard. I wasn't being paid to be Stephen A. Smith and have a take that's, you know, 
needs to capture an audience. You do radio, you need to have that take. You can't like that's that's what the medium is. So it is a real flip the switch kind of moment. And even on Pac-12 radio now, you know, if I'm working with the guys, you know, of course, like you have a take, but it's not you know, a lot of times I'm playing devil's advocate or prompting, like I'm trying to get our guys to tell stories about their experiences. And what's really interesting is now at NFL network, I'll do a a decent amount of total access and I'll never forget the first time they were like, all right, look, we were in a pre-show meeting. They're like, who are your your picks? And I'm like, I make picks. Like, what do you mean? I make picks. And I, I was like, Oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, yeah. You're part of the show. You're going to make picks. And I, and the producer said, are you comfortable doing that? And I said, yeah, yeah, no, I'll figure it out. I said, I got to be honest with you, man. Like I've always been Switzerland. Like there's never, you know, I've never thought about, like I've always had a thought who I think was going to win, right? Like, I mean, we could talk, you know, Ducks in Arizona this weekend. Like I could tell you who I think is going to win that game and happy to share those thoughts. But at the same time, you know, that's not what my role has been. So it is a really different, it's a different vibe. And heading into that solo show with Rome, I realized like, hey, going to have to have some takes here and you know whether it was the Niners with Jimmy G and Kansas City and and feeling good about you know the Chiefs and their path in the AFC West and a little concerned about Justin Herbert um, because of the ribs because some of the injuries on that Chargers team like those are all things that you need to discuss and what was fascinating about that show in particular it was coming off of Thursday Night Football when Tua had the concussion so my game plan heading into it was one thing I'm watching that game and I'm like Oh no, like we, we're, we're talking a lot of Tua tomorrow on the show. And that's, you know, and in some ways it was harder because it's NFL and concussions. And obviously that's still my main paycheck, but at the same time still needed to give a, an opinion on, on what was transpiring. Did, uh, when, when your run at the Pac-12 network ended, did you see it and or did you see these next two years ending up like they have been? And were you at all, you know, I was going back and reading like the piece that Christian Capel wrote about you for the athletic, um, after your departure and just kind of the, um, you got a pretty nice outpouring of kind of support and, and love and, and people who really enjoyed your work and time. And I imagine as somebody who was like the face of that network for a long time, that was, that probably meant a lot to you at the time, but you've, you've really kind of made the most of it since. Uh, still does, man. I honestly, like I, even as you're saying it, I, I can kind of feel the emotion like in my face and like, like, I literally just got goosebumps because I think about those experiences and someone's like, dude, you're really cheesy. I swear to God, like I can feel it. Like it is. <laughs> um, yeah. To say meaningful man is, is really an understatement. I had, uh, I had an awesome time those first few years at the network. And as it progressed, those experiences on those sets with the guys was amazing. I mean, I still keep in touch with, um, the vast majority of the folks over there, um, on the analyst side for sure. Uh, to answer your question, did I expect it to to play like this, man? I was scared out of my mind, Tyson. I mean, that happened. How, how long were you unemployed for? Um, technically, this is going to sound awful. I I was technically, I think, unemployed for like a week. That a boy. <laughs> so no, it, like, so let me let me reset here. So I one of the best parts about Pac-12 Network and being there, Tyson, was every campus that we went to, I got to talk to students, and I used to tell them legitimately, you'll have so many guest speakers in your time here. No one's luckier than me. Like I will be the luckiest speaker that you will ever meet. And I think about my path. I think about the story, the opportunities that I've gotten in my career. And it's just wild to me. I thought, so you're right. Like there were people like tweeting at me saying like, Hey man, like we're going to miss you. Like that is like insane to me. I really, 
Tyson, we spent years talking about distribution issues. Like not, I knew people were watching, but at the same time I was like, man, like no one, no one gives a damn. So for people to take the time to message me, I got back to every single person. Um, like I had a lot of free time. So I had, I got back to every single person, <laughs> but it was wild because they had told me that I was going to get a contract extension. And then all of a sudden, like the can got, you know, they were kicking the can down the road. And then I was anticipating an extension right after the conference tournament in Vegas. So we do the conference tournament. Um, we do one day of games. If people remember COVID, like it all happened when we were in Vegas and that was, you know, basically three weeks later, a large percentage of our uh, production team got blown out. Uh, we all got, man, I got an email at like eight o'clock at night on a Saturday that I had a Monday morning meeting with HR and uh, the president of the network. And I'm like, what is this? Like, what is going on? I was like freaking out. And then Monday morning comes and we realize, you know, all day Sunday, you're calling everyone. And there's a bunch of us that have like on 15 minute intervals, you yeah. know, your call. So, you know, that happens. And they said, Hey, all right, like you're under contract. Uh, we'll honor the contract. You still need to work for us um, throughout the contract, but we're giving you a heads up. It's COVID man. Like there's no, there's no jobs. I mean, I was, man, I didn't think I was going to be back in the business. Like I really legitimate, I had those conversations with my agent at the time. And she's like, look, like we're trying, but no one's hiring. There's no sports Wait, going on. Were you thinking on. of going back to like, were you going to go be a doctor? You know, <laughs> I wish I was smart enough. There's a reason why I went down this path. Yeah. Um, legit. You know what I, look, I actually had conversations with, you know, kind of just people in my life in general. And I, I love wine. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll just move to Napa and, and just work in a, in a tasting room or something. Like I didn't know what I was going to do. And it was, <laughs> I was legit. I was Tyson. It was the fear of God. I was scared for months. The anxiety I had a whiteboard in my, in my room and it had the names of pretty much every person that I could think of that I've mm. ever worked with. And I would call every person for weeks. Really? I was just making calls and uh, Lamar heard who obviously people up in, in your neck of the woods will definitely remember Lamar played at Oregon state. And um, we worked together for a long time. He's obviously the analyst for the blazers now, uh, I remember him calling me and he was so good. I mean, he's still one of my best friends. He's so good to me. And I re I'll never forget this. He said, man, you've helped so many people out. He's like, yo, it's time to, to, you know, cash some of those checks, man. And he's like, you need to start asking people for help. And, you know, I did. And he was actually one of the first people to, to really help me out. Um, and it was stuff like that, man, is, is really, really significant. For well, me. I mean, I mean, that was like one of the, th I mean, I, I can completely relate to that with leaving the athletic and starting the corridor yeah. up. Like, like, I think the thing that I've learned more than anything is like, you know, you like you think it's kind of uh, uh, superficial when somebody says like, hey, if you need anything or like if, if I can help or the, like, I, I think actually like learning to take people up on that and like understanding when people are being genuine when they say that, like it can mean so much. And, and like and like you deserve it, too, because like that's like people are reaching out because you've treated people right throughout your professional career and like you're really, you're really good at what you do too. So I, I, I think it's oh, just, it, 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 it's, it's nice to see that, you know, <laughs> it's, there's so many good people, man. Um, and not just in this business that have been really helpful, just so many different walks of life. I mean, you see the stories on television and I love when people get highlighted when they're doing really good work for, for others, but it's, um, you know, I'd be lying if I said, I didn't miss some of those experiences, uh, with that crew. Like I, I, I do like, I miss working with Lamar. I miss working with Don McLean. I wish I miss working. I still get to work with new highs occasionally. Like there's, I mean, I, Yogi, like you can, the names go on and on and I don't want to, you know, Nigel, like coach Aliotti, are you kidding me? Coach <laughs> Aliotti, you want to talk about good people for every week, 
for months, Aliotti would call me on a morning walk and he'd either get me on the, on, like I'd either answer because I was available or he'd leave me a message and he'd say, you ever, this is the worst Aliotti impression, but he, he's got that, <laughs> you know, that raspy, thick voice, coach's voice. He said, you ever, I'm just checking in on your melon. And he's like, things are going to be okay. And I mean, you, you get calls like that, like just people in your life that are willing to help and be supportive. Like it was so huge for me. Cause I, I was in a dark place, man. I was, I, I felt like they turned their back on me, kicked me out the door and, and, um, I was blindsided in a big way. So I, that, that stuff hurt for sure. But you know, I, man, I don't get the NFL gig without that. Like, there's just so many things, like everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Where do you find, um, um, cause I know, I know a lot of the, the attraction of like the patch pac 12 network gig, especially when you took it was kind of like, you're building something and you're the face of something oh, yeah. like you're, you know, especially cause what you were probably 30 when you got that job or 30 ish when you got yeah, that job. I was, uh, about 30, yeah. 30, 30. Like that, that's like probably that. like when you have your confidence, like, well, you know who you are as a broadcaster. You're like, I'm going to go kick this job's ass, um, at the NFL network, which is a better job probably, but you're definitely not. I mean, there's, there's a lot of faces to the, to that place. Oh, like, like, yeah. how, like, like how, how has that change been for you? So dramatic, man. You know, you mentioned confidence. I had, when I was at ESPN, I got some really great opportunities quick and then things turned the wrong way for me. And I really lost confidence like big hmm. time. And I was struggling, uh, there. I was there for four years. I always tell people like, I had plotted my exit for my last two years and I just couldn't wait for another opportunity to pop up because I didn't think I'd get an opportunity like back 12 network, for example, like I just, I didn't want to be just a cog in the wheel. Like I was there and I just never thought those opportunities might never come for me. And I had lost a lot of confidence. Um, Kevin Connors, who's still there. He's one of my best friends. He does, you know, a ton of baseball stuff and college football stuff. And, uh, I, I'll never forget doing a show with him. And he was like, man, you got all these people telling you 10 different ways to do it. He's like, you were good enough to get here. Just do you. And you know, you need it. This goes back to like support and people in your life. And like, I needed to hear that. And then things started to slow down when I was on the set and then pac 12 came and I mean, I got to do everything there. Like that was awesome. It was so hard for me to fathom leaving there because I knew the autonomy that I was given would never come in any other job ever. Like you have autonomy now doing what you do, you know, you can kind of, kind of write the story that you want to write. Right. Like, and it's, it's pretty cool to be able to get the keys to the car and just drive it how you want it. Right. And that was within the first two weeks of taking the job there, it was very clear that they were going to let me do that at, at the pac 12. Um, my two, I remember having that conversation with two of my bosses. I'm like, Hey, we didn't, you know, two weeks of shows. Like you guys cool with everything. And Lydia Murphy Stephens and Kristen Bredis who, you know, were there like, no, you're good. Like you just do you like, don't yeah, do you. And I was like, awesome. really? And it was amazing. And then, you know, NFL came and you, there's a reset dude. Like there was, <laughs> there was a reset. Um, you know, I, I just needed some opportunity and, uh, the, the talent director there at the time was at ESPN. We were there at the same time. I never worked on his shows. I, I do know just from other people that he called people at ESPN to ask about me. And I had talked to him in May, nothing was available. And then at the beginning of August, so my, you would ask me how long I was out of work for. So my contract with the PAC 12, even though they told me in April that I was going to not get renewed, they had, they said, oh, we're going to okay. honor your contract yeah. and still, you know, you're still going to work. Um, so they made me work, not a lot, but still had to work up until August, whatever it was, 12th. And, um, and then from there, you know, we 
I was going to be unemployed. And then at the beginning of August, NFL reached out to my agent and said, Hey, is Mike still available? So I remember they were like, Hey, like, all we have for you, just update shifts from home. Like, are you cool? Just doing one minute updates. And I was like, yeah, man, like I'm, I'm down. Like, are you sure? Cause I think they were a little concerned, like, dude, you just went from hosting like all these right. road shows and like studio shows. Like we, this is all we can give you done. No problem. I'm, I'm in. And then I had a, um, it was the year, a couple of years ago, Trey Lance, uh, the Niners drafted Trey Lance. They moved up in the draft. Tyson, you want to talk about how like the, the, the gods, you know, they sprinkle their fairy dust on you and like you just get lucky. Had it not been, I swear to God, Tyson, I am convinced that had it not been for the Niners and John Lynch, thank you, John Lynch for trading up to the third pick. I might not be a studio host now at NFL network. They, they make the, they make the, uh, the trade. I get a call from the guy who runs the reporters at NFL Network, and he says, "Hey, man, like I know you're in the Bay. Any interest in covering the draft for us? Um, you know, in the Niners?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course. Cool. All right. We'll we'll get in touch with you in a couple of days about the details." I hang up the phone, and I said, "Oh, you know what? I've never been a reporter in my career. Like, which is wild because I think if you tell people in the business that you haven't been a reporter, like they're like, what are you talking about? You started as a reporter, but I backdoored my way into television because I was a radio guy. Right. And then I just went straight to studio. So it's like a very unconventional path. So I get off the phone with my boss and I'm like, I've never done this job before. I, I don't have sources. I don't know anyone at the Niners organization. Like what the hell did I just say yes to? If I F this up, like I'm screwed. So we go, and then I go, all right, it's football, right? Like, hey, Ronnie Lott, he, he played for the Niners. Ronnie, I work with. I can pick up the phone and call Ronnie. And then all of a sudden, I start thinking, all right, what are these creative ways you can do some of these hits? Well, it's a quarterback. I know plenty of quarterbacks, right? So I call Matt Liner. Kyle, like, you start, you know, some guy knows Jeff Garcia. I'm like, oh, cool. Get on the phone with Jeff Garcia. And then you start coming up with content around your hits to color them. I think they do okay. Um, you know, sure enough, like it, it went well, all of a sudden NFL starts using me more. And one of my other bosses says, Hey, like you're doing a really nice job. You know, we like what you're doing. And I said, look, man, if you think I'm good on the reporter side, I gotta be honest with you. I've never been a reporter my entire <laughs> life. Like I was just making that stuff up, like studio right. side, like that's where I'm comfortable. And then they said, Hey, you know, why don't you move down here? We don't have something for you. We'll figure it out. And, you know, it's just kind of saying yes to everything, um, has been, kind of like the mantra over the last, yeah, you know, really most of my life, but it's, it's paid dividends for me. Do, uh, this, this might be a weird question, but I always think about it because it's, it's such a kind of competitive business, but, um, do you have, a, do you have an ego? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm being honest. Yeah. Well, I, mean, and I, I, I was just, I was just thinking about that, about when you said moving from you know, kind of the network, I mean, the, the PAC 12 gig to, to taking that, that, that update role, like, yeah, like, I mean, that was, I loved being at the athletic for being able to say that I was at the athletic. I mean, like no there's kind of cachet around that. Like, how did you kind of readjust that part for you? So I felt like I was, when you say ego, right? Like I'm confident, like, I feel like I could do a good job on the shows, right? Like if you put me in a spot, I'll, I'll be okay. I'll figure it out. And I'll never embarrass anyone who gives me an opportunity. Like I promise, like I'll, I'll prep my, you know, what off just to make sure that I don't mess up. Um, but I do feel like, Hey, if I'm, if you give me the opportunity, like I'll, I'll do okay. Like I'll be pretty good. I think. And when they said to me, Hey, it's going to be updates, you know, Ted Robinson, who, who calls games, legendary play-by-play -play guy, Ted had called after the PAC 12 thing. And he said, Hey, just so you know, man, like you'll get opportunities. They might not be better than what you had, 
at Pac-12. They might be a sidestep, might be even, you know, a diagonal back step or one straight back. But he's like, dude, you'll be okay, man. Like you'll, you'll get back. And I think I had to just sort of say to myself, you know what? Like, this is a great network. It's the number one sport in the country. Like, if you think you're good, Mike, like just, just do a good job in the roles that they give you and you'll be able to move up. And was I, was I disappointed? Like there wasn't, Hey, go do this show. Of course I was, but I also knew that dudes have been there. You know what? Costas is retiring. You know, we can. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like you just, you know, like I just needed a way in. And if I could just prove myself and hell, even the studio reps, Tyson, like I get to do total access with MJ Acosta Ruiz Mondays and Tuesdays. The only reason why this is goes back to being the luckiest person ever. The only reason why is because of COVID for like, they were losing like, anchors were just going down. Like analysts were going down, like people were getting COVID and I wasn't. So all of a sudden it's day of two hours before a show. I happened to be in the building to do an update shift. And they said, Hey, we need you to do this show. Can you do it? And I was like, yeah, let's roll. And I didn't mess it up. And then I were like, Oh, okay. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, the night before someone's got COVID, can you come in and do this four hour whip around show? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. So you just, I needed those opportunities. And then you just, really the key is just don't, don't mess up at that point, or at least do it well enough where you'll get another, another rep. And those reps keep coming, man. It's, it's awesome. Um, like I said, I just, to say lucky and fortunate, it really is an understatement. So, so are you living down in LA now? Yeah. So we found a place in, in, uh, in Manhattan beach, um, which we could afford, which I didn't think was going to happen. And uh, it's close to the studio. Cause I used to walk Tyson in San Francisco to work every day. Like I miss that. And then when I came down, you know, for some other shifts, I was like, Oh, like everyone drives down, like there, there's no walking, um, you know, to work. That's just not going to happen. So I wanted to be close and, um, yeah. So, so down this way now, and it's been, it's been good, man. I, you know, I, I do miss the Bay. I miss wine country to be honest with you. Like that's the biggest thing that I do miss about being in the Bay, but it's, uh, but it's been a nice adjustment. So, so is it, is it just, uh, uh, you know, USC flags on every door right now? I, I actually, it's probably UCLA flags. I go, right? yeah, like, man, yeah. you see, you see a little, that, that's actually both. It's, you see some UCLA, they, they got a reason to puff out their chest a little bit. And, and obviously with all the stuff with Lincoln and SC, it's, it's pretty cool to see it. I'm disappointed though, for, for the league that those two schools are, are leaving the conference. I mean, it is, it's a massive buzz. Cause you've been covering this league for, for years, you know, like it's meaningful, it's significant. The rivalries are important. I think there's something to be said for, you know, like lack of a better phrase, but like, kind of like band of brothers, like, you know, yeah. it's us versus the world. And to see those pillar institutions leave hurts. And and especially for like the last ten years, like the the conference has like made that such a part of its identity too. I mean, no Media Day has been at Hollywood in Hollywood for the last yeah. ten years or so. You know. Oh it's, yeah, yeah. You, even you, even though it's just those two schools. Yeah, you know, you can't you can't quite just go airdrop that in Boulder and call it the call it the same thing. Actually, yeah, I, yeah. You know, maybe, maybe a little ski chateau and. I, I would take that. I'll I'll do the uh the ski. You know you know how much stuff's going to be in Vegas now. I would imagine everything goes goes to that city i think they well, just start migrating there yeah but I, I i wonder if like you know the the big 10 came for usc and ucla like why don't they come for vegas too i mean like you know the that city's not con- there's no pac-12 footprint there like why why can't those other conferences come at it too yeah no it's a it's a really good point i look i think at the end of the day you and i both know a lot of these tv deals and these rights deals they're on shorter windows i do think there's a world that exists at some point where usc and ucla are back with the pack 12 
in a different form. Cause I don't know if the pack 10 or 12, whatever we're going to be calling it. I don't know if it exists in its current form with all the different um, paths of realignment. You know, I, I think eventually we start seeing something closer to an NFL model. It's, it's, and especially because you're doing the radio show too, but like, it's got to be refreshing that there's actually some like decent team, like top end teams to be talking about right now. I mean, Oregon looks pretty good. We just talked about USC and UCLA. Yeah, Utah. Utah, Utah is going to be that team that everyone forgets about. And then all of a sudden they go and beat somebody by 50 in the title game. Like, it's, no doubt. It, it's, it's just ironic that uh, after seemingly the conference ended, that they're finally having some pretty good football out right now. Did you think that? One of my biggest surprises this season was I felt like the league was really top heavy. And it, it, in some ways, like to your point, the better teams are having some success right now. I didn't think there'd be as much parity as we've seen previously. All of a sudden, some of these other schools, like Washington State, I know Oregon State is coming off a loss, but the point is, like, there are some schools in the middle, UW, like in the middle there, you're like, oh, damn, these dudes can ball. I, I think the fact that Washington State has managed to survive going from Leach, who, I mean, you know, as eclectic as that guy was, like he's a he's a generational college football mind. No doubt. Um, at a school where I think everyone was like, oh, like they'll be as they'll be good because he works there. But for them to like go through what they went through with Rolovich and then come out of that with another coach, and for them to still be decent, um, there are a lot of reasons why like it shouldn't work out in Pullman or maybe even in Corvallis or like yeah. some of these other schools and, and for them to rebound. Uh, I, I think that, I mean, they, they got Wisconsin's coach fired, like plain and simple. It's, you know? it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's wild to me. And there's other opportunities in this league, like ASU, you know, there's, there's an opportunity for whoever that next coach is to, to really make that a, a must a must-see destination for for recruits, and I wonder how recruiting is going to change even for Oregon. And I'll, I'll look. I'll say is really everyone in the conference without now USC and UCLA in the league. I, I don't know if that really alters dramatically uh, recruiting in the league, but I I got to imagine it's at least a little bit of a factor where some of these schools might be able to take advantage. My uh, my hope right now is that both Oregon and UCLA get out of this week safe, and then it sets up. Yep. UCLA up in uh, Eugene because like I just think that would be like Oregon's had like a lot of big games against Washington. It's had some big non-conference games, but like that would be a unique one, especially with just kind of Chip versus Dan. Um, Hell yeah, yeah. Like like as as somebody who was you know you guys were launching the network right around the heyday of of Chip Kelly and and Chip was on our our launch show on launch. Was he? I I didn't didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I remember having that conversation. That was. Um, that was wild because those were wild times, man. Like I remember even being on the plane from Connecticut, flying out two days before I had an HR or we launched on, on a Wednesday. I was in HR. Uh, I was in the meeting Monday morning and they pulled me out of the HR meeting to go and start doing rehearsals in the studio. And Chip was going to be a guest. I remember talking to, talking to him. I remember even being on the plane going, man, like, I don't know anything about Oregon State because at ESPN, we were just talking, you know, Oregon you know, Stanford was getting love, you know, with luck there for a few years. So we would, we would talk about those dudes, SC, we were talking about, um, I remember interviewing Rick uh, Newhouse when he was at UCLA, like it wasn't, we weren't in the weeds on, on every school, uh, in this league. So I, I remember kind of freaking out about that. And, you know, you just kind of, you, you live it at, at that point and you, you do as much research as you can and, and watch all the games. Who was, uh, who was your favorite coach to interview during your time there? Oh man. 
like Leech really is the most different one of the group. Like that, that was not even close. We always had fun with him. Um, it always you know be who, funny. It would always be funny at media day just to see kind of like the lineup of people who would go up. There yeah, because he wasn't going to talk football. Well, well, and you, like it was people who weren't going to write a story either, but they knew it would be a good tweet that might like gain some traction. And yeah, hundred um, percent. You know who is always? I don't know if this is like he wasn't my favorite interview, but he was actually like he was really funny. And when the cameras were on, it, he was serious. And now he's a broadcaster, which I always think is is kind of funny. But Mark Helfrich was <laughs> legit funny, like yeah. legitimately would get you laughing. Um, I always enjoy my conversations with him, man. He was great. Herm was always good to me. And Herm, I worked with at ESPN. Like there was there was a good group. I uh, I like I like Mark a lot. And I uh, I still feel I mean. You know, I, I think uh, I think things have worked out on the Oregon side, but I, I just feel uncomfortable with kind of the way that shook out for yeah. you know the hometown. I mean, you know, Oregon boy, dream job, and like he still he like he's got a place in Eugene still. Like that, like it always it always surprises me when I see him on on a broadcast. I think he was on the USC broadcast a couple of weeks ago uh, with just, Fresno. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. just it's it's almost jarring because it's like man, like. You know, we were we. I think probably 2014 Rose Bowl is when I got to know a lot of you network guys probably a lot. And like at that time, it was like he's the hot new thing in college football. Yeah. Like you know, he's yeah. he's on the same podium the next week as Urban Meyer, and and boy, that thing just destructed really quick. <laughs> uh, totally, totally. Um, you know, it's kind of wild too because you start thinking about some of those coaches. Um, I think I've told the story and I don't know Tyson if you and I have talked about this off air but uh Chris Peterson we you know after my contract was we had a bunch of coaches reach out like Jonathan Smith's awesome he's actually a great guy to talk to off air as well dude he he, he reached out when I when I left too like it's crazy like I maybe interviewed him twice before yeah. and, and he he got my info and, and sent me like hey such like, a good yeah, dude it's like such Thanks, man. I appreciate he that. is <laughs> such a good dude um Peterson called and, you know, the coaches that I had talked to, and there's a few on the, on the football side and, and a handful on the, uh, on the basketball side, you know, they're five, 10 minute combos. CPs just starts talking to me and it's like 10 minutes. And I'm like, he's asking me questions. I remember like looking at my watch going, <laughs> oh, like he's actually, he like wants to talk. We spent over an hour on the phone really, and it was the greatest pep talk in the history of pep talks that I have ever gotten in my life. And you know, and just sort of like why things are going to be okay. And like, you just big picture. And I go, Oh, th now I get it. Now yeah, I understand yeah. this built for life thing. Now I understand the things that he had talked about off air uh, with regard to some of his kids. And now I see him, you know, on Fox when I'm watching some of the games on Saturdays and I'm like, man, I wish he was still coaching. Cause I think the benefit of being around guys like that, when you can impact, you know, an entire team, like that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, Last thing I want to get you out of here yeah. on is, you know, we, we talked about when you started at the network and, and at Pat 12 network and this one, like, I mean, you, you used to maybe want to be a doctor. Like what's, what are you doing at 50? What, what are you doing 10 years from now? Oh, you know, I really do Tyson love my job. Like I love, I was doing a podcast, um, friend of, well, I still do it. I do it with Michael Robinson and I was running a few minutes late, um, to that podcast. And we were joking. And I, as soon as I get into the studio, I'm like, yo, my bad guys, like, sorry. I said, there was a dude who was my roommate in college, one of my roommates. 
And none of us would want to walk with him from the cafeteria back to the dorms because he was the social butterfly and you could never get back to your dorm in a reasonable time. And I told them that story and I was like, I just started talking to people on my way downstairs and M Rob, who's just so damn positive and, and he's awesome. And he turns to me, he's like, Oh, that means you're happy. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like actually I I'm in a good mood when I come to work. So I, you know, hopefully at 50 man, like they, they, someone's continuing to employ me. I get to do some shows. There's some other creative outlets that I certainly have. And, and, you know, I got to explore some of those in, in COVID and, and put together some projects. So um, I know it's sort of a lame answer. I really do love it um, tremendously. And I, maybe there's something with wine at some point that I could yeah. go and do and some other, you know, I've been doing some, uh, I did one children's uh, book, which, which was a lot of fun for me to do. And I, I kind of want to do some more of those. So um, I don't know, man, just kind of just continuing down this path. I've, I know I've said this like a hundred times, but I really do mean it. I have been pretty lucky. So I just kind of want the ride to continue to, to move forward here. We, we, we could, uh, I think the I-5 corridor could use a, a wine course. I think Napa's along the corridor. Is it done? Is it not? Done. We, yeah, perfect. We're in. We're in. Um, I'm ready to roll with you. We can't pay you, but. It's you fine. Know, yeah, cool. We're cool. just, yeah, we're, we're, we're sipping on some vino, man. I know up in, uh, in your hood too. I used to go and do some events when Crystal Ball was, uh, was up there with, with Rob Mullins and the whole deal. And I would go to a bunch of the wineries, um, up in your hood, man. Like, there's some, there's some good ones up there. Yeah, little Pinot I mean, country. There, there, there's a reason why we've stuck around up here. Oh so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, shoot, getting <laughs> this. Uh, th- this was a treat, man. I, uh, I, I wasn't quite sure. Uh, I wasn't quite sure where we'd go with this, just because you know, you, usually it's like an easy plug of uh, like it's the start of football season or this or that. Yeah, but yeah. I just, I just enjoy your work and, and thought that'd be a, a, a fun conversation. So yeah, thanks, thanks no, for the time, dude. Absolutely, man. And seriously, I really do mean this. Congrats on your success, because I and I said this at the top of the show. It is not easy to venture off and do your own thing. Like I am, I'm jealous that you're doing it because it, it takes a lot of courage and I'm, I'm thrilled that you're having success. I was pumped when, uh, when I got your message to pop on with you, man, it's always good to, to at least see you on, on camera. Like we're doing this right now and, and hopefully we'll get to do this again real soon. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Some baseball. That's Tyson Alger here joined by cousin Sal. Uh, Actually, it's 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 my buddy AJ Mazzolini. He's coming on. We're going to talk about the Mariners. I I had told people uh, quite some time ago that this wasn't going to turn into a Northwest version of Bill Simmons just bringing on all his friends to talk about his teams. But it's been 21 years since the Mariners have made the playoffs. I figured I'm owed one. AJ, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. What a What's it like being a baseball fan living in East Coast? Or is, is Nashville East Coast or are you Central? I am about 50 miles or 60 miles from the East Coast time zone, which okay. thank goodness, because otherwise I would see nothing. At least now I get to watch the first three or four innings usually before I have to go to bed. So so what, did, did you stay up for the clinching game? Definitely. Definitely. Up by myself, yelling into the darkness <laughs> alone with the dog. Okay. So, so that's, that's kind of what I wanted to like circle back around because, um, I too was by myself watching in my living room, just on the TV. I had bought a like $9 cooks champagne, uh, <laughs> to, to have in the fridge. And, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just funny. Cause I, you know, a 21 year playoff drought, I think I had visions of how it would end at some point. And I think I always thought it would either be like, at a bar and like a big celebratory or like at, at the game. Cause like for some reason you and I are sneakily good at kind of 
ending up at like big Mariners moments, but yeah, it was just kind of quiet. It was reserved. And honestly, it was, it was, it was great. It was, it was a very nice night. Um, still kind of doesn't quite feel like it, it happened yet. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish that I had, uh, some Northwest beers that I could have celebrated with something, even a nice Rainier perhaps. Um, but no, I, I had nothing but the Southeastern and, and Eastern beer. So a, a yingling will have to do. I was, I was going to say, what is the, uh, the, the, the Southeastern, uh, like go-to crappy beer? Uh, just more of the same Budweiser, Budweiser's right up the road <laughs> there in, uh, in St. Louis. So nothing exciting or interesting. So, um, for, for people listening, AJ used to be a sports reporter in Oregon. He, he worked out in Pendleton for gosh, that was about a decade ago now, uh, it for, was. For, 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 for a couple of years, uh, he and I went to school together at Montana and we actually became friends because we met in the airport terminal, both traveling back from a Mariners game that weekend. Um, yeah, yeah. we were capitalizing on, uh, those connections with Alaska airlines, right? Flying out and flying back <laughs> on a, a cheap ticket on the same day, just to go see a game. Were you, were you on John's, John's dad, John's dad's free, free ticket there? Yep. One of my roommates from college had the same setup. So we got the, I don't even know what you pay for the fees or something. So fly out there morning of and fly back the same afternoon for, I think that was probably like the 2007 or 2008 season finale, something like that. Yeah. It had to have been 2008. Um, which is a, a funny time. You know, when I, when I texted you about like, let's just shoot the shit about the Mariners and talk about like the random things that we actually enjoyed about watching a really bad baseball team for the last 21 years. And uh, I think like that 2000, like nine and 10 run when like Griffey came back, actually that was, that was good for one year. It was like really good for one year. I was actually at, at the, like the final game of like Oh nine with my dad when they like carried Ichiro and uh, Griffey off on their shoulders yeah. and like, he should have retired at that very moment because the next year I think he batted like 197 and had like the whole like falling asleep in the locker room and yep, uh, like, like suddenly <laughs> disappeared onto the road. Like I, 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 I legit went back and like reread uh, some of those retirement stories and like the first sign that he retired was somebody saw him at a gas station, I think in Great Falls, Montana, like gassing up on just like, you know, he just disappeared and was like cruising out of town. Yep, he was on his way all the way to Florida. So, boy, you know he was hot on the run. If he had to go all the way to Florida, have have you? Uh, or so, excuse me. So, we're uh, you and I have temporary tickets to the wild card round. If it is in Seattle, that is looking increasingly less likely with each day. Um, are you still set on going to? Will it be Toronto or Cleveland? I have temporary tickets for Toronto and God, as well. <laughs> so either I'm going to get saddled with a bunch of tickets I can't use, or hopefully I can flip them on like a stub hub or something. But I mean, like you said, this is, this is unprecedented in our adult lives. This, the drought's old enough to drink and has driven us to many, many times. So I am uh, pretty determined to go wherever that game is going to be. And even if I got to be, the only asshole in a Mariners hat in the upper deck in the Rogers Center. I'm, I'm <laughs> well, and and you just got married this summer too, so that's that's probably a nice first fight to explain the uh, the, the the three international uh, charges on uh, the credit. <laughs> that's right. 
uh, I think she's going to come with me, even if she doesn't come to the game. So she, she's always up for a trip to a new city. Uh, but it, it may be me rolling solo at the game. Who knows? All right. We, uh, we are now having our, uh, our, our mutual friend Billy Gates pop into the chat. He is a college football reporter down in Texas. Billy, we're just recording. Uh, let's just hop right into it. Um, has hell frozen over? Yes. Not, not yet. Not yet. Um, who knows? But um, I'm ready to talk about these Mariners, man. Like, this is – I cried like a baby <laughs> when Cal Raleigh hit that homer um, off the off the fair pole. Um, I was just wrapping up um, some high school football stuff because high school football is life here in Texas. And my um, MLB app had just warned me that it was the ninth inning. I was like, oh, oh, man. Like, I got to, you know – fire up the old MLB TV app and then, you know, watch the game. And so I watched that last inning and there are a couple of, of Rangers fans in the newsroom because we're obviously, you know, in Texas. And we got to talking about the, the previous Rangers series and how the Mariners just like completely, you know, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't figure stuff out. Um, and then he was like, Oh, well, you know, I'm glad, Glad we were able to help you out and get this one. The game, the game hadn't been over yet. So I was like, don't say stuff like that out loud. Like, you know that that's like some bad omen. Like, just just please shut your mouth. Let me watch this. Just, just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> just just shut, shut, shut your mouth. Um, and then it happened. And honestly, like the first thing I thought of was. What what would what would Dave Niehaus say? Yeah, this moment. Um, like like obviously you know you you you'd get the swung on and belted, you'd get the my oh my, but like like hearing that sort of in my head. I mean, Dave Dave, Dave Sims is great. I mean, he's certainly grown on me over the years. Um, his call was good. Um, I wouldn't listen to Rick Riz's call. Um, the next morning because it was late and I wanted to go to, I wanted to go back home and go to bed. Um, but like, as soon as that ball hit the pole, like all I could think about was Dave and, and what, and how he'd have called it. And I just, I couldn't handle it. I got emotional and I cried incessantly at my desk. And like, there were a, a couple people left in the newsroom, like what's going on? Like what's happening? And then they saw the baseball game on my screen and they're like, Oh, Okay, and they just left me alone. <laughs> they just, I, I, they I, just I let love, me cry it out. <laughs> I, I love how like the Mariners have now at least twice made their fans look absolutely probably ridiculous in the minds of like real sports fans because in, yeah. in like ninety five it was like, Oh my god, we made the playoffs for like the first time. Uh and now here twenty two years later it's it's like you know, people are like connecting with long, long lost family members over a wild card card birth uh, <laughs> for a series where you might not even get like a like a home playoff series. But guaranteed um, two games, and that's it, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, Billy, like that's that's a good point because that's that's definitely something that I thought about uh, back in 2016. AJ and I both went to uh, Cooperstown to watch uh, the Griffey induction. Um, because, you know, at that point, too, it was very well like, hey, this might be the last good Mariners thing that ever happens in our adult lifetimes. You know, like we're both well, 
one's a former sports writer. One's one's trying to kind of get out of sports writing. Like we're not living long. Like there, there's a chance. There's a chance that that streak could have kept going. Um, <laughs> but um, so we, we went to Cooperstown and like the, the coolest part about that, like there's like no rules at Cooperstown. Like it's just like everyone's like strolling through like the same museum. Like you you pay your tickets and you get in. But like you are going to see like people that like you either know or like loved or whatever. And like, I was, I was in there looking at like the Dave Niehaus exhibit and like the, I think it's in the, like the Frick. Is it, is it the, is it the Ford C Frick award that he won? I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyways, I was like, I was like in there and I like, I look over my shoulder to my right and it was like Rick Riz, like looking at the Dave thing. And I just said like, Hey Rick, like, what are you doing? And he just said, like, just came by to say hi to Dave, and like, oh, man. and I was like, oh man, like that. Oh, I probably no. couldn't have, I couldn't have probably written it better than that one. And, and yeah, uh, so I was able to snag a picture with them. But when they, uh, like, with and them I, clinching, and like, then I had like, to had to mop Tyson up like he was a puddle after that. So. <laughs> oh, God, seriously, yeah. man, I couldn't handle it. I yeah. I see the statue of Dave out, you know, beyond the right field concourse at T-Mobile, and I I. I lost it like the the, yeah. the the first, second, third, and fourth time I've seen it. I just just couldn't handle it. And you know, my wife Jesse, who understands this and graciously kind of lets me <laughs> lets me do my 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 uh, weird weird obsession with the Mariners. Um, like she just like she sent me a text like after it all happened. And she's like, "Are you crying?" I was like, "Well, yeah, I was." And she's like, are you going to cry when you get home? I was like, probably like, I like, I what, what's, what's your, what? but if I, if I see anything else like that, that involves the Mariners making the playoffs, then yeah, I'm probably, am going to cry. Cause it, it's just something that like, I don't know, kind of get numb after a while, especially watching Felix spend his whole career, you know, playing on losing teams and stuff like that. Um, and then, I mean, obviously, with, with Ichiro's career, his rookie year was that 116 win season. So, I mean, like, I mean, his career certainly didn't peak in his rookie year, but his team's performance certainly did. You know what I mean? And so, it's just one of those, one of those things where you think about all those great players, you think about all those people that have been been with the organization, you know, through through all those times where, you know, they're. I mean. They only lost 100 games a couple seasons, but they were always, <laughs> but they were always um, uh, just kind of far enough away that it's just you just kind of got numb after a while. And then you know, last season where they get close, you, know, you kind of get that taste of important baseball here in you know September, October. And then then you just want more. And then now oh, yeah. finally, finally you're going to get more. Um, and like AJ was saying, like you're just guaranteed two games, and but still, I mean that's that's two more playoff games than you know I've I've seen the Mariners play since my freshman year of high school, which is just insane to think about. The uh, you know talking like hearing you say stuff like Felix or like um, you know even thinking back like Riz again, just like the amount of people that have watched just thousands or like either watched or partaken in just like thousands and thousands of kind of just uh purgatory baseball games for like that franchise for so many years like th those were the people that i thought of um aj and i were at felix's last start at safeco which was just a really weird vibe in a stadium because it was like very emotional and celebratory and also i think like 
there was also just like a huge tinge of regret, I feel like, too, of just like everyone knew that like this was probably the best pitcher you're ever going to see wear a Mariners uniform whose career was completely wasted in, in Seattle, who often gave like a lot of us probably some of the few high points that we've had as sports fans for the last however many years. Um, but like seeing him like kind of struggle and then like rebound and then just kind of like will his way through that final start and like i just remember seeing like kyle seager had his glove behind his back like trying to like wave like get the fans like amp like amping the fans up like in between pitches and it was just like like felix and seager were like the two guys that i thought of like the most like especially seager like that guy played how many games like mariner style grind them out games and then like retires like the year before they make it definitely i mean you had careers begin peak Wayne and end and a lot of them <laughs> 21 years is more than a typical player's career would be anyway so you're talking dozens and dozens of guys that came along and are out of baseball now that are old men <laughs> and never saw a playoff game I, I was there I, w- I was going through and like look and, and we'll we're going to get into this uh very very shortly actually this might be a good way to start but like I, I wanted to dive into like our favorite just obscure Mariners players from the last 21 years or, or, or just names of like that really kind of define where this organization has been and gone through. And uh, I, I found the LinkedIn page of Jeff Clement, who was the former, former, he wasn't the number one pick, but he was like a, like top five first rounder, just one of the litany, just, just one of the litany of guys that Mariners fans had attached to as like, at some point down the road, this guy is yes. going to come along. And whether that was like the big three with Danny Holtz and Taiwan Walker and uh, um, James Paxton, or like, remember like the little unit, uh, Ryan Anderson, who was supposed yeah. to be like the next Randy Johnson. And like, just like yeah. all these guys that like were almost like mythologized because they were like going to be like the next guys up and coming. And like, there's, there's it's just a graveyard of baseball players and careers and potential that that this organization has laid waste to for the last two yeah. decades. Our, our our guy Dustin Ackley, who couldn't not hit until all of a sudden he couldn't hit, Smack Daddy, and boy, it was <laughs> Smack Daddy. Yeah, and no go, no go oh. for Smack. Daddy. The the, the crazy thing brutal. about it, yeah, and and like Ackley was supposed to be the sure thing because like Ackley and Seager were teammates. And Ackley was like supposed to be the sheer thing, and Seager was maybe the po- project, and like that's got to be weird at the reunion, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of go back to I kind of go back to DJ Peterson, um, that the, Peterson. the third baseman out of uh, what was it, Arkansas, I believe that that the Mariners you know spent like a top five pick on, and he did next to nothing for anybody. I mean, I think he's still in – he's still somewhere, like maybe with the White Sox, maybe. Um, but, <clears throat> I mean, it's just like what we've been saying. Like some of these some of these draft picks that the Mariners got that they just couldn't develop was just kind of kind of the, the same old song and dance with the minor league system until, until Jerry DePoto, like – overhauled it and here we are like how how many catchers were were supposed to be great it was like clement it was like adam moore it was like uh mike zanino and like god bless i loved me some mike zanino but is there ever a more predictable pitch than a o2 slider that he's going to reach for and and swing and swing and miss no like some mash and taters for (laughs) yeah i mean and 
And kind of early on in the season, I got the same vibe with Cal Raleigh. I was like, this guy got brought up too fast. He's not ready to hit in the big leagues yet. I mean, you know, he's still only hitting like 205, but he's hit 26 bombs, including the one that, you know, sealed their spot in the playoffs. So it's like, well, I mean, I I guess he's getting better, and I guess he's on, on a better track than Zanino was. But, I mean, it still kind of feels – feels the same to me hopefully he's able to take a bit a, a big next step um average wise and at least bring that thing up to like i don't know 230 235 i'm not gonna say i don't know man big big high. dumper can hit 215 big, if he's if he's, if he's hitting <laughs> if he's hitting bomb like, I, like that's legit on his baseball reference page <laughs> yeah they said it on the broadcast a couple times so it's, it's mainstream now <laughs> that's that's gotta be that's gotta be probably the best Mariners nickname outside of just Junior, right? Yeah, I mean the big unit's pretty good. I, I, yeah, I, that's I like, yeah, that's I like fair. that one. Um, the big dumper <laughs> you, though. I mean, there's just there's just so many different ways to go with it. Can, can you imagine being Cal Riley's mom and you've you spent your last twenty years taking him to baseball practices? You know, going to going to games. Uh, all these things, your your kid finally makes it to the big leagues. You're so proud of him, and then like two months into his career, like he's already developed the nickname just Big Dumper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everyone just calls him Big Dumper. <laughs> like that's 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 my kid, Big Dumper. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, apt. She's yeah, okay the, with it. The, the guys, the guys, he, he's thick, you know. <sighs> All right, Billy, give me give me a bad Mariners player that that you enjoyed the last a, twenty years. A bad Mariners player that I enjoyed, or 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 a, or a just a, a Mariners player from a bygone era. Sure, I mean, I mean, I, I think we can kind of stick with with the bad Mariners player, but I mean, I don't I don't want to call him bad, but because I mean, he made a great career out of being Billy. Being nobody's Billy listening player. to this, anyways. You can just you can light him on fire. <laughs> Willie Bloomquist, man. Oh, yes. That guy, one pick, number one. Yeah, that's guy. that's that is the number one pick. That that is my guy. I mean, he's the head coach at Arizona State now, his alma mater. So I mean, good for Willie. You know, I mean, he's coaching a a, a prime time college baseball program, uh, one that he helped kind of put on the map a little bit because he was a great college baseball player. Like I, boy, that's... he was great. And, and, um, and he was he was the thing. The thing with him with the Mariners is like he was never bad. He was never good. But right. he was that weird, he was he was that weird player where like there was never really that potential of him being good either. Like you right. just kind of like he was he was a creative player. He was the generic creative player that you make on your baseball game that can play eight different positions other than pitching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and heck, actually, in today's MLB, he probably would pitch a couple innings of, of relief as, as a as a player. But oh, yeah. Did he, did he was he not on the the O one? Did he come around in like O two or three? His his, his rookie year was was to what was two thousand two? Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Well done, Billy. <laughs> all right, all right, AJ, you're on the clock. All right. Um, so I was looking back, um, doing a little prep for this. I'm gonna go Brendan Ryan. So did Ooh, you know? That's a great that- one. Did yes. you know that there was a season where Brendan Ryan led the team in yes. war? Yes. <laughs> yes. Was that was was that probably 2010 11 when they had, when they averaged like 2.9 runs per game? It was, it was bad. Oh. Yeah. 2011. Yep, you're staring down the barrel of a 95 loss team. Yeah. Is that a- first place, Brendan Ryan's yeah. your guy. 
and he had a great stash too. Him and him and Eric Wedge created like the all stash team. <laughs> Actually, that's 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 the <laughs> Eric Wedge. Like I, I guarantee, I guarantee you, there's probably like sixty percent of Mariners fans who don't remember or don't know that Eric Wedge was their manager. <laughs> Actually, I pro- I probably couldn't go if you include interim guys. Every manager who has coached for the Mariners since Pinella. So okay, so it was Pinella, Bob Melvin. There's eight, there's eight uh, of them on the way. I'm looking at John, the list right now. John yeah. John McLaren, John McLaren, uh, Eric Wedge. Lloyd McClendon. I'm not going in order, by the way. Uh, uh, Don Don Wakamatsu, Scott Service, Jim Riggleman. Okay, that's a good pull. Is that is that eight? Is that eight? Uh, there's a there's a couple more. Two, two. One of them was a was a was manager of a very good American League Central team. Um. The, all, all those years we had dusty baker the mariners no <laughs> and then the other one was an interim guy who yeah i think he managed 50 games or something something like that it. yeah oh mike hargrove yeah yeah, attaboy. yeah. Remember, like mike hargrove who just like quit in the middle of the season i think yeah, just, his last year and just, because the mariners <laughs> were so bad at that point and i think that was maybe only like seven years into the drought it was just kind of like yeah that's that's what happens yeah no, he he uh he took the old Irish exit and just just sort of left. You're pretty good though. The only one you missed is Darren Brown. So no. if you could have pulled that one out, never managed another team. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I remember that one. When, if when, you would have hit that? Darren Brown, then I would have I would have I don't know sent you a trophy. Coincidentally, I doubt Darren Brown's teams hit. <laughs> they did not. <laughs> All right. Ugh. Well, I'm gonna go with the uh, the the, the twofer pick here of because they come as a, a tandem. I'm gonna go with Eric Bedard slash Adam Jones, oh, God. Um, because that was that was the first in a in a series of all right, the streak's over. They're going all in. They're cashing in on this young talent, and not only did they trade away a guy who ended up being a multiple time All Star, uh, like one of the best personalities in baseball, and Adam Jones when he was a rookie or when people knew he was going to be a stud too, but they picked up a guy who not only could barely ever pitch for the Mariners, uh, not only was Eric Bedard hurt all the time, but he never made it out of the fifth inning, but he was also just kind of a dick all the time. And so that, that one was one that you really kind of wore, uh, especially because when the, if I remember correctly, they traded for Bedard, brought him in and then like had him as trotted him out as like the number one starter, like over mm-hmm. Felix. So it was just like, it was just like a, another like yeah screw Felix like I don't know it was just that one hurt it's especially because you know you saw future versions of that where they they made a big move for a guy like Cliff Lee a couple of years later and just yeah. Cliff Lee turned into a trade deadline piece for them so mm-hmm. um, the 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 classic Mariners going in on a starting pitcher um, this is why I actually thought this year was doomed because they went for Robbie Ray and uh, that usually doesn't work out for them but. Um, Eric Bedard, Adam Jones. Nice, nice. And if, if if I could if I could go go to go to the pitching staff, I've I have a couple selections. One of them I just love to hate because he was terrible for the Mariners. Brandon League. 
I never he had the, a fan. He had the coolest guy. tattoos and glasses, though, man. I do not care. He was trash. <laughs> um, <laughs> like it just seemed like 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 that guy couldn't close a window, let alone a baseball game. Like it was awful. Where they would trot him out there in eighth or ninth inning with a lead, and then he would just just completely blow it, and they would just still just keep doing it. You just be like, yeah, well, let's put Brandon out there. We have a two run lead in the ninth. It should be fine. It's weird. You, nope. I, I know. I know you're saying Fernando Rodney, but a lot of times it keeps sounding like Brandon League. When well, you leave Fernando out of this, like <laughs> <laughs> he's he's like he's on the other end of that for me. He's someone I just like, like enjoyed to the point where it was it it, it, it was, didn't. It was sense. an experience. It was an yeah, experience. It yeah. really was entertainment um, value right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he'd shoot the arrow whenever you know he'd do his job or whatever. Um, it just, oh, oh, Fernando. But the other guy I wanted to kind of highlight here, he's actually on the Mariners broadcast team. That was Ryan Roland Smith. Cause you know, he was one of the first like Aussie guys to come over and play and like pitch and, you know, have like significant innings in, in sort of like that big league setting. And he was, I wanted him to be good so bad. The hyphen. I really did. An- another good nickname there. Yeah, oh, the hyphen. The hyphen, yeah. 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 I he he was one of those guys where you just had to pull for because you know he was he, he was kind of yeah, I like I was saying, like he was sort of like that that leading sort of Australian player, and they're trying to grow the game down in Australia, you know, and he was sort of like that guy that they would gravitate to, be like, all right, Ryan Roland Smith is gonna help us, you know globalize the game of baseball something that baseball you know still hasn't really done outside of you know the caribbean and you know the far east asia um but four seasons with the mariners not good uh 12 and 17 era of i don't know a million um (laughs) give or take where, where where'd we go here oh it's almost almost five like you know Finished the 2010 season one in ten with a 6.75 <laughs> ERA and 27 start or in 20 starts. In 20 uh, starts. That's it's amazing so, that you can have that and still get 20 starts out of it too. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like, There's like, nobody else. There was nobody else in 2010. That was a rough yeah. stretch. Oh, I mean, a FIP of 655. A whip of 1.7. It's it, he's he's allowing almost 12 hits per nine innings. Boy. That'll do. <laughs> that'll, that'll do, right? That is. Ugh, but all right, AJ. Yeah. So right before that stretch, it, for some reason there there's an infield that's imprinted on me from right around when the time I was graduating high school. We had our Unieski's batting court are Jose's Lopez mm-hmm. and then Richie Saxon was was my guy. God, that was the most and group of as a as a tall man myself, I appreciated a guy who had to basically crouch just to get back into the batter's box swinging a toothpick. I think between him and Beltre that that one year, you know, they were supposed to be the big bats and yet that was the first first team to spend 100 million dollars on payroll and lose 100 games. So, uh, thanks for was that the uh, Beltre hit, I think, 48 home runs for the Dodgers in, like, 2003? Mariner signed him and Sexton. It's supposed to be like, okay, they 
they they've lost or they've won 90 games in back-to-back years didn't make the playoffs this is how they're going to reload I don't think Beltre hit more than what probably like 25 home runs and, and granted that's ba- and that was back when Safeco was like a verb safe code um but also I mean Adrian Beltre is one of my favorite Mariners ever like I loved watching that guy play third base but but he, boy those were some real ball Boston years <laughs> yeah 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 yes uh just frustrating beyond beyond belief because you, you thought they they couldn't be bad at that point right like you, you just like couldn't couldn't imagine them being being bad with that kind of lineup sure enough they we're bad and and like 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 sexton like brought in an era too of like and maybe this is me like having like childhood nostalgia and stuff but like sexton was like one of the first players where i was just like I don't like this guy. Like, like, like he just kind—he kind of seems like a jerk. He's striking out like all the freaking time. We're paying this guy. Like, like this is when I really like. This is when I became a man. I, I, I grew up. I understand it. Uh, economics knew the Mariners weren't getting their money's worth out of this guy, and uh, it really rocked my world because up until that point, you know, seventh, eighth grade, you know, it had just been Mariners magic from like ninety-five to two thousand one. Like everything that they did worked, and. Uh, these guys taught me that the world is a sad and lonely place when you're a Seattle Mariners baseball fan. You know, yeah, just like you're right. Like that Simon and Garfunkel song, Hello Darkness, my old friend. Yep. Yeah, I was a Seattle Mariners fan from, oh, I don't know, 2001 to like now. Um, I guess 2002 was a pretty decent year, but still. Um, I'm going to go with my next pick. I'm going to go Bucky Jacobson. Oh, Buck. Who who was on the Mariners roster for about two months? I want to say in like 2005 or 2004. 2004. My senior year of high school. I have a personal connection with Buck, but continue with yours. Yeah, like like Bucky Jacobson looks like he should be like Jay Buner's like car truck salesman sidekick. Like he's he's got the same goatee sort of look. He's portly. He hit the ball like probably 400 feet. Country mile, country strong. Uh, he just was like the first in a series of like, oh, maybe this guy like pulls us out of it. Like, like you you knew things were going really poorly for the Mariners when all of a sudden like Bucky Jacobson is the guy that like you're getting your hopes behind. I was like, I mean, maybe maybe he can keep this pace where he's hit seven home runs in a week up for a whole season. No, he he played I think maybe sixty games in the big leagues and I think does radio now in Seattle, but. Jesus, Bucky he, Jacobson. He, he does, yeah. He Folk was like, hero. The show like Buck and Chuck and like KGR or something like that. Uh, yeah. But no, Buck, Buck and uh, Chuck. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Buck and Chuck in the morning. Here we go, KGR Sports. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, so Buck is from Hermiston, Oregon, it, where I essentially where I grew up. Um, he's so we, played I can, high I can, po- I can post this now. We have an Oregon connection. See, <laughs> see, we, we found the kernel that links it all together, Billy. He go played ball, played played college ball, Lewis and Clark State, the tremendous NAI program up in Lewiston, Idaho. Basically, the only thing Lewiston, Idaho has going for it. Um, don't tell anybody I said that. They'll get me. Um, but um, my senior year when I went over to Hermiston to play in their American Legion program, um. Buck just like showed up at the field randomly one day. He's just like, "Hey, everybody!" Like he had he had 
This, this is starting like a dateline, Billy. I know, right? Seriously. Yeah. He just showed up and he was like, hey, like, what's going on? Can I throw some BP to everybody? And so we're just like, yeah, like, like we got a major league baseball player here. Like, like we watched him hit the ball like 500 feet. And then like, you know, as teenagers do, we were like, throw us some sliders, Buck. You couldn't hit those. Maybe you could throw them. Um, that was the wrong thing to say <laughs> to a very large man. He got kind of mad. Um, but eventually, you know, he he kind of played it off and thought it was pretty funny. But initially, teenagers, you know, telling him that he couldn't hit was a uh, probably a bit of a bit of an ego blow to him. But really was a punk ass teenager move. Yeah, like like for sure. He, he was just like one of the, the many power hitters the Mariners who have had who have who should not be power hitters like on a winning organization like there was like the two-year span where like Mar the Mariners best hitter was like Russell Brannion like mm -hmm. why was Russell Brannion in a Mariners uniform hitting like 31 home runs and batting 195 or uh or the fact that and, and God bless him I, I, I he's he's, he's an all-time Mariner and he's going to get overlooked because of the era he played in but like the fact that like Raul Abanez is probably the Mariners' most effective power hitter from like 01 through like 2013, I think probably goes to show you everything that shows you why it's been 21 years. Yeah, yeah. So, so rather than a rather than a player, uh, I'm thinking about a specific moment. One of those moments that really encapsulated the last 20 21 years of frustration. So. Um, I was living in Montana and so we got out to a game or two a year. And one of those games, I was across the street at the pyramid brewery, taking in a pregame beer when the breaking news came that Ichiro was getting traded across oh dugouts to the Yankees. I was like an hour and a half before game time, ready to go to that game. What a humbling moment, like your fandom of fan players and then uh, switching to the other side, big game. I forgot. I forgot he got traded. I forgot they were playing the Yankees when that happened. That's a tough one. Ooh. What was the stadium like for that one? Did he play? Did he? Did he play that day? He did. Yep. Went out, did his stretches in the outfield in the same way, just wearing the wrong uniform. See this. Th this. This oh. is. This is why I. I, uh, I. This is why the Mariners all owe us like a, a little bit of like maybe copay for therapy or whatnot, but they got me to a point where like, I didn't like Ichiro by the end of his Mariners tenure. Like AJ, you and I were friends by then. Like I was, I was think I was on board with the, like, he's only, he's only looking to like get hits for himself and he doesn't die for balls and like this and that. But like, I obviously was affected by the performance of this team for a decade and was, didn't know what I was thinking. I wasn't talking clearly because obviously Ichiro is a hero. Hall of Famer, all of that, but I was I was happy. I was happy when he got traded, and obviously it didn't work out for the Mariners because nothing does. I was going to yeah. say not not a lot of things worked out for the Mariners, and um, I, I think I think we can all like agree on just forgetting about the years Bill Bavassi and Jack Sorensic were GMs of that team. Who? Thank you. Okay, just as long as we're in agreement, that's all I needed. I I just don't quite understand what you were even talking about there. Mm -hmm, right? Yeah. You're really selling it. C could oh, could you God. spell could you spell Zorenzik? Oh God, no! He he can't even spell it. Like like this. 
Starts with a Z, ends with a forensic. Like a lot, of, a lot of silent letters, a lot of hidden letters in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what I wonder where those two were at on uh clinching day. I wonder where a lot of the guys were. Like hopefully like, nowhere on the good side. Field. Yeah, like on, on the good side of the spectrum and the bad. Like, like what do you think Kyle Seeger was doing on Friday? Uh he was probably money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's got a big old farm, like farmhouse down in North Carolina. Um, I think Kyle Seeger will do fine in retirement. I like, I, I think, I don't know. I, I, I was glad at least like, like Hanniger kind of seems like he's built from the same type of cloth as Seeger in terms of like, he's probably like the next guy on that roster. Um, that's been on the roster long enough for fans to have the connection and kind of to understand like the pulse of the city and, and that sort of thing. So I was at least glad like Hanniger was able to, to partake in that because I, I think it was even during the, the, the year this or during the trade deadline this year, there was talk that maybe they should ship him or not resign him or this or that. And like Hanniger has been like one of the few decent players to watch for that team for like the last three or four years. So like to actually see one of those guys get rewarded was was a nice change of pace because all the other guys on the Mariners are young. Like it, it's, it was funny watching like all these uh, reporters interview them about like the last 21 years. And it's just like, most of these guys have like joined the roster like a year or two ago. Like they're all like 20, 21, 22. Like it's, it's just like an interesting dynamic <laughs> dynamic. Yeah. It's Hanniger's the longest tenure player, right? At like five years. He's got like him and him and Marco are probably around the same. I would think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, because I mean, the, the, the whole the starting lineup is is Hanniger and then everybody else they got in a trade other than Raleigh, right? Because they really didn't develop would, Crawford, did they? I uh, no, I think they did develop Crawford, didn't did they? they? Or he made I mean, at this point, I just can't even remember who's come through the system and who hasn't. I I kind of love that. Uh, I mean, like we're we all. Lo- obviously are on board with Julio. He's probably the best rookie the Mariners have had since A-Rod or Ichiro Um, has like all the qualities of being probably, he's going to be the biggest superstar in that city. Like, like I know the Seahawks have kind of reigned supreme in Seattle for the last decade, but I really think that city turns another gear when like baseball is, I mean, go back and look at the attendance numbers from like 2001, 2002, like the Mariners were putting 3.5 million people uh, per season in, in those games. Like I think Julio can be a monster, but it was cool to, it was kind of cool to see him not be the one to win it for them. Like to like, kind of like get those supporting role characters and to see like, I tweeted this, but Colorado, uh, Cal's going to be able to sell trucks in the Pacific Northwest for the next like 35 years, just because of that one home run. Like it's absolutely uh, there, there, there's, there's, especially with the Mariners, there's like so much comparing it to like 1995 and like, like that sort of thing, but it's nice to like, just have like new stuff and be able to kind of like put that in the rear view a little bit and have like these new guys make those moments. It was, it's, it's been fun to watch. I'd buy that dumb truck. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he would have to, he'd have to say like, come on down and see the big dumper for your F three fifty, Right. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that'd be the tagline. Or he could, or you like, he could sell Tonka trucks. I mean, like he's, he's got a whole, it, I can be his agent. I have ideas, Cal. If I, I or, actually, I know you're listening to this. Um, or he could be a plumber. Or he, or he could be, or he could be, 
Big, big big number. Number. Anyway. All right, we're gonna um, we're gonna we're we're gonna go one more round through this before before people people are like, why did you spend two hours talking about? Why did you do this? Yeah. Um, I want to go back but, one. I want to go back just a little bit. So JP Crawford came to the Mariners from the Phillies. Segura. Yeah. In the G Segura trade. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. How how they get Segura? Segura was that a trade or was that a uh, free agent signing? That was a, definitely a trade. Yeah. Oh, that was Taiwan. That was Taiwan Walker. Taiwan that was Walker. Taiwan Walker for Gene Segura, who become so Taiwan Walker becomes J.P. Crawford. I mean, they get. Th- that's another guy, Taiwan Walker, who was billed as the next big thing, but injuries kind of derailed his career. I was at uh, that was one of my first stories for the Oregonian. They I went up to Seattle, and it was the summer that Ty was their number one pick. And it was the day that like he signed, so they brought him the safe go to like, you know, show his name up on the stadium uh, marquee, and I think maybe do some batting practice and stuff. And um, I I went up and wrote a story about the the new pe- the new pieces of the Mariners' future, like the foundation of of the Mariners' uh, uh, road to the playoffs, and that was back in 2010. And I I went back and read that, and I interviewed uh, Ty Walker, uh, Matt Tuiasosopo. Ryan Roland Smith, uh, and and the Condor Michael Saunders. Who Ooh. now that I'm thinking about it, that's that's an all time nickname too. I wish he was good because that would have been like it was, that's a great nickname if you're a good player. Yeah, he hung around. I appreciated him. That was yeah. a good one. One of those middling outfields for several years. How how have how have we gotten this far without anyone bringing up Justin Smoke? <laughs> the smoke because motive. I blocked him out of my memory because he doesn't exist as far as I'm concerned. Ah, uh, man, just like Aggravated. watching w- watching him swing like he just had taken a shower of molasses. Just that big, loopy, slow, no bat speed, and like he's like 21 years old too, and everyone's like, "Oh, he's got all this potential." Uh, I mean, was he Jesus Montero? Like bat like. That was that was my thing watching him play. It's like, should he be? Should he do the old little league thing where you like take the bat and you hold it straight out in your arm, and if your arm is able to like stay steady, then that's the weight of bat you use. Like, should he maybe tried that? Because it looked like he was swinging just like a tree trunk of like maple. The the Mariners literally so slow. literally had their best prospect of the last twenty years throw an ice cream sandwich. At a scout in the stands because he was too fat. Like, like, like that guy was supposed to like that guy of all the like the sure things. Like, Jesus Montero was supposed to be like like they were comping him to like Mark McGuire, Babe Ruth, like as yeah. like as a hitter. They're like, oh, he can't catch. Like, eventually he'll have to turn into a DH. But the one thing that guy can do, he can sure hit a baseball. Nope. Nope. Didn't work out. <laughs> Didn't work out. We'll just sum it all up. Didn't work out. Didn't work out. I mean, yeah. Um, okay. 20, actually, 21 years distilled in, you know, three words. Didn't work out. All right. To, to, to sum this beast up on Friday or Saturday, whatever it is, the Mariners are going to play in a playoff game. AJ, what's that mean to you? Uh, I, I think that it means 
it, it puts things full, cir full circle for me. It, it helps me feel like the last 20 years were not all completely empty. We got a chance. <laughs> we got a chance to actually do something, even if it's like a 2% chance. Maybe they can win a couple games there, and I don't know. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, they won't be the only franchise to have never appeared in a World Series sometime soon. Really? With with a top end of a rotation, like I like the chances in a short series like this. Like, like I, I really do. Like, I'm not just trying to like justify this whole thing where oh man, the Mariners finally make the playoffs, so I'm gonna, you know, unrealistically, you know pick them to win the world series at all. But um, in a three game series, I mean, I still like Robbie Ray. Like, like if you put him up against any other guy on Toronto's team, I still, I still like him. I love Luis Castillo. Although the last start he had no more of that, please. Hey, um, the, fa the fact that he led them to a win yesterday, like eight yeah. hours after a hangover or after probably like, yeah. Like, yeah, like what, what that was probably the worst time day game, and they still managed to win that. Like, yeah, I, I imagine there's people who lost some money on that game because I probably, I probably would have bet against the team that was party who was whose manager was screaming, Let's fucking party. Yeah, <laughs> hammer the under on that one. Yes, yeah, but I mean, I, I, and like what it means to me, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a relief, you know. Um, I kind of think, you know, people can downplay this playoff, you know, appearance as, oh, they expanded the field, you know, of the, of course they make the playoffs because, you know, there's more teams involved. But, I mean, they still had to get there. And I think if, if they end up finishing in that second wildcard spot, I think that's – I mean, I would, I would love to see them try to catch the Rays and be able to host that series, but I don't, I don't know if that's possible. But um, – I think, I think they have a legitimate shot at at least winning the wild card series, and then you know from there, who knows? I mean, this lineup is so young. They're may, maybe they just forget it's the playoffs, and maybe they just play ball like they did, you know, in in June and July when they were really humming along. So, um, baseball is weird. We all know that. Um, and if a team gets hot in October, I mean. You know, who knows? The Miami Marlins won a World Series for crying out loud, and they really weren't good. During and then another one. So and then another won, one. They've won two World Series, Billy. Yeah. Well, I was just I, talking about the first one. I was, I was, I was thinking about this, and like the the last the last time the Mariners were in the playoffs was probably at the peak of my baseball fandom. It was two thousand one. I was probably. Uh, I was like 12 years old, like and baseball was at by like by far my favorite sport, like probably like my, my only sport that I followed like that closely. And uh, like as that droughts continued, like my interests have definitely like diverted, like I'm a much bigger like NFL and NBA fan now than I used to be. And I think a lot of that has just been like when your team like like baseball is such a like a regional sport i don't think anybody really watches it nationally like you do some of the other sports and when your team's out of it by june most years um you know it can really kind of feel like like a forced uh, like almost like a chore to like keep following like the league and like i i love baseball and it's you know usually it's been losing interest in july and then like wait till 
my dog's bouncing a ball all over the place. Milo, <laughs> get out of here. But it's it's uh it's like, you know, season ends in July and then wait till October and then like, you know, enjoy playoff baseball. And it's kind of like a one of my best friends that I watch baseball with all the time, he's a Cardinals fan. And so his team is in the playoffs every freaking year. Lucky and guys. uh and it's, uh, you know, you kind of have to like fake like enthusiasms for like supporting your friends teams and all that. And it's just like, it's just going to be nice to be able to go to like a sports bar, have the Mariners game on for with sound on for a change. Like, I can't remember the last time I went to like a sports bar where the Mariners game was the one with the sound on because it's never been worth it. It's only games that are worth it that have sound on them in the bars. I'm going to be able to hear I'm going to be able to hear the Mariners in the bar. And that's all I've ever wanted. It's been 21 years. Yeah, Granted. Mean- Granted, I had. I guess if I if that was my dream when they made it in two thousand one, maybe that's a problem on my parents that I'm daydreaming about being in bars. But, anyways, <laughs> let's get squirrely. They're going to the World Series. We'll have you. <laughs> okay. Uh, actually, actually, a- AJ, um, uh, we're gonna have you. You already committed to this, so you can't back out. But when they end up not playing this wild card series in Seattle. Um, if you're going to Toronto, you're going to write an I-5 corridor travel diary for us. So uh, I, I look forward to uh, uh, your travels. Sure. You got it. Whatever whatever interstate goes through Toronto, I'll, uh, I'll just map it up. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, thanks for indulging me, guys. I, I, I thought about like writing something like that night because, I, you know, I think you know, we, we all are uh, uh, writers and I, I think, uh, you know, it was like, oh, my God, like, I got I got to, like, capture this, like, moment or whatever. And then I was like, screw it. Like, I just want to, like, watch and enjoy and, like, not have this be work. So I figured I'd save the podcast, which is not work anyways, for for uh, for Sunday. And uh, this was nice. Thanks. Thanks for joining me, boys. It's uh, it's been a while. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we had such a such a great occasion to come together and speak, actually. Because I don't think I've I don't think I've seen AJ virtually or in real life in years, so it's nice. I moved away from you, Betty. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and then you know one of these days, uh, I'll get back to Oregon again when you're there, Tyson. Because we missed each other last time. You went up to Alaska to see family. Ugh. Like it'll be, but it's gonna be weird that we all just meet in Seattle for the parade. Like, that's true. We're just gonna skip Oregon, like. That's true. Yeah. Because that's certainly going to happen. Clearly, I've been telling every boss from every new job I've started for the last ten years <laughs> that I got to take some time off in October when the Mariners play in the World Series. So <laughs> one of these days, I'm gonna cash that. I'm gonna cash that in and buy you know, a really expensive ticket. At any any time uh, within the last eight years, if they would have made the World Series, I probably wouldn't have been able to go because it's right in the heart of college football season and I had employers. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. guess who's unemployed now? <laughs> I'm just going to fake sick days, so I've already yeah. got the plan set up. All right. Well, have a good week, guys. Uh, I'm excited to text you guys throughout playoff baseball it's gonna be a trip it's gonna be fun i'm ready i'm ready i5corridor.com
You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider.